are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kim. I invite you to journey with me to a new day. I believe God has led you to this moment and this place because he is about to bring purpose and potential to your story. So join thousands of women and men from around the globe who have discovered how powerful their stories become once Christ touches them with his purpose. Don't you long to make this same discovery? Then grab your coffee, scoot in, and join me as we let God's Word reveal how every part of your past has been preparing you for this very moment. What is the message for men today? Today's guest unapologetically and courageously declares it is the hour for men to arise as the champions heroes, husbands, fathers, brothers, friends, solution bringers, and different makers they are meant to be, and for the women in their lives to also rise up and support them like they have never before. Wow, what a show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee, Conversations of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. I'm Kim Crable, your host, and so honored to have you join us today. Along with you, we have an incredible uh, guest, a minister, a speaker, and author, Robert Hodgkin. Robert is the founder of Men's on the Front Lines and Robert Hodgkin's Ministries. He also serves as one of the core leaders in the Patricia King Ministries. He hosts the weekly Heroes Arise, don't you love that, broadcast. He co-hosts the show Propel with with. Patricia King, oh my goodness, I'm, going, I'm just getting tongue-tied here. We're talking about all the things that he has done, but what's so important for you to know is that he is here with us today, and he has a powerful message. And for the men who are listening, 40% of our listeners are men, this is a message that I know is going to inspire you. And for the women who are listening, this is going to help us to understand not only what we can do in our lives, but how we can help the men in our lives. So without anything else that I'm going to say, I'm bringing on our guest, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Kim. I am super excited to be with you, and thank you for getting through that long bio on my part. You did really, really well. Well, actually, I was getting ahead of myself. There was so much I wanted to say, and I thought, I'm just going to bring him on and let him explain it because he can even he can do it much better than I can. So now you are you are joining us today from Scottsdale. Is that correct? Yeah, I live, my, my wife and I live in Scottsdale. I'm actually down in Maricopa, which is just a little ways away from Scottsdale where our ministry and studios are. Okay. All right. Well, we're delighted to have you here. As I uh, read through all your materials and, and things, Robert, I will just tell you the heart that you have for men is the heart that God gave me for women. First, he gave it to me for myself and understanding that, that I could be restored, that it wasn't too late, that there was nothing in my past, that any pain or hurt or abuse that he couldn't come in and heal. And so it was time for me, he said, 30 years ago to arrive. And, and to get busy, and I see that as your your uh, message to men, and I love love that, and I want to dig into that today. But I want to start with the fact that this wasn't always your lifestyle as a minister and a speaker of God's word. As a matter of fact, as I as I've read through your story, I, I got a little tickled. It reminded me your story, Robert, reminds me of Paul in the Bible, where he had that Damascus Road experience. I kind of jotted down in my notes, Robert has a chopping wood conversion. Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I, I grew up anything but a, uh, a devout Christian. Um, I actually was a mocker and persecutor of Christians for most of my life. Um, but then when I was about 38 and a half years old, I was uh, living a semi-retired, partly retired life. Um, up in the woods of Montana, and I was splitting wood outside my cabin one day when the, uh, I always get emotional when I talk about this, the God that I'd mocked and made fun of for almost my whole life showed up, and he declared to me, I refuse not to love you. And for, I don't know how long, because it was one of those 
wonderful, holy moments inside of the heart of I am, which is only present tense. And I brought before him every wicked, arrogant, selfish, mean, hurtful, hateful thing I'd ever done. And his response to every single thing, all of which I thought should have disqualified me from this unconditional love and acceptance, his response to all of it was, I refuse not to love you. And uh, it was, it was, it was life-altering is the easy and almost too simple way of saying it. I had, I had been a, a postmodern nihilistic which is a bunch of fancy words saying I had been deeply disappointed by almost everything and everyone in my life. And while I had achieved what the world told me should have given me happiness and success, I didn't have it. And I, I was almost afraid to believe in anything because I'd been disappointed by almost everyone and everything. But wow. Jesus, who I openly made fun of, showed up mm. and everything I brought before him, he said, I refuse not to love you. And for the first time in my life, in almost four decades, I felt completely loved, completely accepted. And he began to take me on a journey of revival and reformation. He loved me enough to not leave me where I was, but he also loved me enough to not disqualify me for any of my mistakes. Oh, my gosh. This is why I wanted you on on the show. And this is why we're going to do a follow-up, because... I have my I have been writing um, vigorously as you've been talking, and what you have just said is is I, to unpack this would take a conference almost. But I want to start, um, if it's okay with you, I want to start where you said because I want the listeners to get the the raw truth of what you're saying. I love the language that you're speaking because mm. I believe that we forget that Robert. Are you do you? Do you, in, in ministry to people, do you get from people um, that they just feel like God is just mad with them, that he just wants to, um, you know, that he, he just wants to uh, retaliate against them? That I mean, we, we, ha- we have a, a thought process out there that God is this bully, and he's going to get even with us for all of our mistakes. But what you just said was that God came to you in the midst of all that you had done, all your disappointments, your hurt, your rebellion, all those things, and said, I refuse not to love you. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah, it, and, and, you know, the other thing about God is he's so personal. Because um, mm-hmm. my first several years in ministry, um, I, God called me into full-time ministry uh, less than a year after that encounter. And I, so I was, I was, well, and I stepped out into it about a year later when I was 40 years old. No experience in ministry, no experience in Christianity, really. God just, God knows my personality and I'm a zealot by nature, so he threw me in the deep end. And but what <laughs> I remember, Kim is he's so personal and he's so profoundly insightful to each of our journeys and experiences and hearts. It was about six years later that I asked the Lord a question because a lot of my early ministry was simply ministering the love of God to people because he so Mm -hmm. overwhelmed me with love. But one day, about six years later, I was going through a very challenging season. And in that, I asked the Lord a question. I said, Lord, Every time you have me minister your love, you have me look in somebody's eyes and declare Jesus loves you over and over and over again until they're overwhelmed by your love. But when you came to me, I'm just now realizing you didn't say, I love you, or Robert, I love you. You said, I refuse not to love you. Why did you use that language? And immediately he spoke to my heart. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was so clear in my heart. And he said, because people had told you that they loved you, throughout your entire life and your experience with the phrase, I love you was people love you until you do something to disappoint them or disqualify yourself. And I wanted you to know with me, it's different. So I said, I refuse not to love you because you've heard, I love you so many times in your life. And ultimately it was not a commitment to loving you. It was a extension of a contract of, if you do this or do that, I will love you. And with me, it's completely Mm -hmm. different. So I've never forgotten that since that moment that he knew my personal experience, even with the phrase, I love you. And he was so intentional. He showed up and he said, I refuse not to love you. There's nothing you can do to get me to not love you. 
That is so powerful, and our, our listeners so need to hear that message. Can I just dig in? Just uh, and I know yeah. this isn't anything in anything in the notes, but I just have to ask you, and you can refuse to answer if, if you know you <laughs> go. But but I just have to ask you, you know, because of our listeners, you know, could what, could you expound on just a couple of those disappointments that just left you raw in life? Because you know, I was taken from a home when I was four into a very loving home into a very abusive home and different things like that that caused me to not feel like I could trust anyone, even mm. God. It's, could you just get personal for a minute and, and sure. share one or two things? Yeah. yeah, for sure. It wasn't like, and the, 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 the blunt truth is it wasn't like one or two horribly traumatic things. And I know that sometimes is how the devil will try to um, uh, push yeah. people away from the truth of God's love. For me, it was sort of a culmination of never, ever, ever feeling like I fit in anywhere. Um, and the, the, I can look back on it now, and I have language and understanding that I didn't back then because I didn't grow up with any of this. But I am a prophetic feeler. And, like, I would go into the homes of friends, and I would know if the parents had been fighting. I knew that my best friend when I was little, that his parents didn't like me and didn't want me there. I could tell when there was tension in my home, but I grew up in a very nice home with two wonderful parents who did the very best that they could, and they did wonderful on a lot of fronts. But I grew up in an atmosphere that was you deny everything, you press out, you, you know, it, it, the image is everything, status is everything. So you, mm-hmm. all, you, you never talked about what was wrong, and yet I could feel the tensions. And I felt like this little crazy person because I thought, well, it's obvious that there's all this tension. And when I bring it up, I'd be told to be quiet. I was a, um, a deep feeler, a very imaginative kid. I used to climb trees and read Edgar Rice Burroughs novels and pretend I was Tarzan and read comic books. And I knew I was supposed mm-hmm. to be good at sports and good at this and good at that. I was a very introverted kid. I loved spending time by myself in my room. And it just, it wasn't the the era and the place I grew up, I didn't feel like I fit. And I could sense when things weren't right. And when I bring that up, I would be, Mm -hmm. you know, guilt, shame, and condemnation was heaped upon me. And I was made to think I was the problem for noticing that there were problems or sensing there were problems, as opposed to, you know, being told this, nobody ever taught me how to deal with things. So I learned how to be a chameleon. I learned how to be a Jacob, a manipulator, because I Mm -hmm. could sense things. So very early in life, I figured out how to give people what they wanted so I could get what I wanted. So I grew up with a very contractual revelation of everything, including love, and almost every single type of love disappointed me. Whether it was the love of parents that was conditional, the love of friends that was conditional. When I was old enough to start dating, um, you know, my whole experience was people loved you or liked you until you did something that didn't fit in or didn't didn't meet their what they expected to be correct. And yet the rules were never communicated, so I never knew. And it was just all very confusing to me. And I got to a point where I just was like, you know, I'm done, I'm out. And so I did the things I was told would make me happy. I had a good career. I made good money. I, you know, had nice things. And yet by the time I was 34 years old, I had moved to the the woods of Montana because I'd been successful enough in my career. I could do freelancing from there and make a great living, but kind of live by myself up in the woods. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I encountered God that I realized there was such a thing as unconditional love and acceptance of who you are and the value that you have. And yet, as I say, in that love, he also loved me enough to deal with not only the wounds that had been inflicted upon me, but how I manifested those wounds and did damage to others around me. Right. Absolutely. Hurting people hurt people. We see that all along. That's right. But he... But healing people can help heal people, and I like what you totally. said about what absolutely you said something before about when uh, God had called you to just look into people's eyes and declare His yeah. love. You know, Robert, I believe in, in what I do with the with the ministry that I have. One of the things that I, I feel 
so committed to is truly looking into people's eyes. And I believe that as we hear people's story, I believe like as you were sharing that story, and thank you so much for sharing that, that as we allow people, when we ask people to share who they are and what they've been through, and as they speak that, as you, if you are with them in person, and, and I do this in conferences around the world, and you look into their eyes and, you, and they see no condemnation, they see no guilt or regret, or, and, and they, see, they literally see the love of Christ coming out of your eyes, oozing mm-hmm. out of your eyes. I believe that God helps you join with him in their healing in a simple process of looking through their eyes and accepting their stories. So, um, so thank you so much for that. Something else that I wanted to talk about before we get into your message, because this is this is I'm just dissecting and diving into meat that you you said in that first introduction that you could write another book about, by the way. And I do want to talk about your books, but I also want to remind our callers: I am opening up the airlines today. If anybody would like to to call in, you can call three four seven three two four five two four six. That's three four seven three two four. 5246 that will bring you into our virtual waiting room press one press one and then you'll be able to speak to our director and she will alert me that you're on and that you have a question or a comment for this incredible guest that we have today so robert i want to dive into one more thing and then i want to get into this powerful message that you have for men today that i think men are sponges waiting to hear but you said something that I want each of our speakers, uh, each of our listeners to hear today, because I do believe that the enemy has us so wrapped up in guilt, shame, regret, and condemnation that I don't think that we even understand how personal he truly is. And I just did a radio broadcast earlier this morning about how personal and powerful Jesus is that he comes to us like he did with Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you're so distracted. I believe he still is coming to us today with powerful messages, and he uses people like you to deliver that. But I want you to please explain to our audience why today could be a difference in their lives by the fact that you said that God is, when he says, I am, that it's always in present tense. Yeah, this is um, um, uh, something that I'm, I, I love about God. Um, I was, it actually started for me, I was uh, doing a ministry tour in Asia, and I was in Singapore, and I had, was getting ready for the meeting that night, and I came into the, the main part of the hotel room, sat down on the bed to put my shoes on, and the presence of the Lord manifested in front of me, and he said, I want you to tell my people I am the Alpha and the Omega. And I spoke, and this was a heart-to-heart conversation because I didn't see him with my open eyes, but the presence manifested, and I could feel the presence. And so I said out loud, I tend to talk to God out loud, even if he's yeah. speaking into my heart. And I said, Lord, I think, I think we know you're the Alpha and, and the Omega. And he said, no, my people know I am the Alpha, I'm the beginning, and they know I'm the end, but I'm not the Alpha, then the Omega. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And what I saw in my spirit is when he said that, Kim, he clapped his hands together and something went into me that is a revelation he continues to unpack about the present tense power of the great I am. God declares that he's the great I am, which means he's always great. We know he's always present because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But what he helped me understand is he's always present tense. God created time and space in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 25. But time, just like space, is a created substance that God can reach into. But when he reaches into it, he is only present tense. He's not the great I was. He's not the great I will be. He's the great I am. So everything in and with God is present tense. It's challenging for us because God has placed us inside of space and time to be his solution, to be an expression of him, his authority, and his Holy Spirit power. So just like he says, be in the world but not of the world, you could say the same thing about be in time but not of time. And I can't unpack this whole thing right now because it's a whole teaching I have on, on, on just this topic called the now of God. But there's, we, when you understand this, there are even parts of Scripture and Jesus' teachings where you see that he was revealing this to his people, that inside of time, we will experience things linearly, but in God, everything is always available to us right here, right now. 
So we can always access the fullness of who he is and all that he's given us. And a quick example, Ephesians 1, 3, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places has been given to us in Christ. It's not that we'll have them when we go home to heaven. We will, but in Christ, they're available to us right now. And so there's nothing of God that isn't available to us. And even when we see something that he's promised us that we do not yet have experience of here inside of time, it's not that we don't have it. It's that he's calling us in his presence to know what is ours. So by faith, we'll partner with him through what Hebrews 11.1 says is not just faith, but the substance of our faith will actually manifest in space and time what's already ours in the eternal realm. But the devil will lie to us and say, if you haven't seen it, if you're not seeing it, you don't have it. Well, you may not be seeing it yet, but that doesn't mean you don't have it. You have it in the eternal realm in the constant present tense of the great I am inside of Christ. So we simply believe it, decree it, declare it, and the substance of our faith begins to manifest it in space and time. Wow. That, see, now that, I love that. The Bible tells us in John eleven forty, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see it? That's it. And, I, I, yeah. and so what, Robert, everything you're saying, I so believe and desire in my heart, and I believe every believer does, is to step into that, into that power, take up that authority that has been given to us, quit denying what God died so that we could have. He died and, and rose again so we could have. And that's what I want people to see today. I believe that's what God Amen. wants us to see is the power of who he is, not who he was or not who what we're going to have when we get to heaven, but to really bring in that supernatural power, the power that rose Jesus from the dead into our lives today and to understand how much we do, in fact, matter today in, in oh, taking yes. up all of this that you just said. To really, if we could, uh, Robert, imagine if we could just understand a tenth of everything that you said. I mean, if, if mm. our minds could comprehend and accept, but they can through the power of Christ, right? He has to yes, come in. Yes, because we have the mind of Christ. You're absolutely yes. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I think one of the biggest things that God has helped me with is understanding the very simple truth that our faith is not only belief, but it's actually a substance. It's quite literally a substance. Like right now here in Arizona, we're in the winter, and for us it's cool, so I have on a pair of wool socks as I'm, as I'm talking to you and your wonderful audience. So my feet are literally covered by the substance of wool because wool is a substance that wove these socks into existence. We need to understand that our faith is a substance. So when we choose to believe eternal truth, over temporary circumstances, we're actually weaving through not just the belief of our faith, but the substance of our faith, like Lego blocks, Lego block by Lego block, we are building inside of our life and inside of time what is actually already ours in the eternal realm. But the devil will lie to us and say, Jesus said, if you believe, you'll receive. The devil lies to us and says, you don't see it, so don't believe it. Because he mm-hmm. knows that our faith is more than belief. Our faith is a substance. So, so many of us, we've laid the foundation for something, but we give up because we don't fully see it yet. And we don't realize that we have it. And the substance of our faith is actually weaving it together in fullness inside of space and time. Some things come forward quite quickly. Others, it's a longer process. I'm not here to explain that. I'm a big believer in Acts 1-7. The timing of things are up to the Father. I just walk with the Father, believe his word, declare it, declare it, and I know eventually I'll see it. Absolutely. And you said something there that I think it's very, everything you said is very important to what to our listeners, but something you said you walk it. You know, faith is also mm-hmm. a call to action. And, uh, and so some, for me, I have found out that many times I don't, see it until I start walking it until I right yeah. so many times well, just yeah. like with uh, the Israelites what they had to stick their toe in the in the water before it parted mm-hmm. right so many times we're called to do before we can see anything and it truly is that step of faith yeah. in doing whatever it is and I believe that there are a lot of listeners that are on today that will be listening uh, days to come 
that are wanting to put that toe in the water. They, you are making them so thirsty. You truly are being the salt and the light in the midst of their darkness. And so we're going to take a 30-second break, Robert, and when we come back, we're going to get into this message uh, that you have been given uh, for the men and the women in our world uh, about rising up. I love this where you said it's the hour. Now, it, this is the time. And it, you made it, you made the, you put an urgency on this message. And so I cannot wait to dig into this. So listeners, um, get your pens, get your pieces of paper, because you're going to, if you're like me, I mean, I've already got three, four pages of notes here with scripture. So everything that you need, and of course, you can always come back and re-listen to it again. But we're going to take a 30-second break, friends, and then we're going to be right back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee. Remember what Coffee stands for, Conversations of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. Um, it's a comfortable way to come in and have a conversation about things that truly, truly matter. Today, we are discussing a subject that truly matters, and it is relevant for today. We have uh, pastor, author, uh, writer, speaker, uh, Robert Hodgkins, who is on, and I'm actually holding your newest book, 31 Decrees of Blessings. Uh, you, your publisher is the same as mine, Broad Street. And every man, ladies, you should get this book for Christmas gifts for your man. We're going to talk about your books uh, before we conclude because you've written several books, and I can see why. Mm. I see another, I see so many more books uh, in you from, from just what you, I believe you should write one, The Chopping Wood Conversion. I'm just giving you a title. I'm just oh, saying. I love that. I love <laughs> All right. So, Robert, again, thank you so much for joining us, us from uh, near Scottsdale, Arizona. We're so delighted and honored to have you with us. So, let's go, let's dive into this message that you feel that is so uh, pertinent to men today about rising up. Why now? Well, yeah, um, the reason now, Kim, is because since day six, God's plan has been to have men and women in the earth who are his dominion stewards, who are his representatives, quite literally representing him to all creation and to every sphere of influence. And I believe that this is the hour for men to arise. And I want to be very clear about something. That doesn't mean it's not the hour for women to arise. One of the challenges that we have in, in, in the world right now is we have to remember that Satan divides. Satan has always wanted to divide. He's want, he wants to divide us from God. He wants to divide us from each other. God unites. God is all about relationship and unity. I mean, he sent the gift of his son so we could be reunited with him in relationship. So whenever we see anything that is an either or unto division, that's Satan. So my message about it's the hour for men to arise has nothing to do with an either or message. I, women are, are 50% of God's solution in the earth. Men are 50% of God's solution in the earth. But one of the things that I noticed happening in society today is there was this war on men. And yeah. I've noticed subtle things like on a lot of sitcoms and commercials, the husband is always the butt of the joke. The father is always made to look to be a buffoon. Now, that, that you could dismiss that and say, oh, you're being too sensitive. I don't think I'm being sensitive. I think I'm being discerning because we see this building and building and building until the point where a lie was entering into our culture labeling masculinity as toxic. Now, I take a very strong stand against that, and I say there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. Now, is, are men capable of toxic behavior? Absolutely, and we need to stop that because it's not of God and it's not of the kingdom. It's of the fallen nature, but that's the key. Masculinity is not toxic. Masculinity is 50% of God's solution in the earth. Masculinity is a powerful thing, so much so that the Apostle Paul, 
when he was speaking to the church in uh, uh, Corinth in in first sixteen or in first Corinthians. He's addressing all the issues that have come up in the church, the, the moral issues, the, the licentiousness issues, the you-name-it issues. And he sums up all 16 chapters of this letter by saying this in verse 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Yeah. So he's saying, men, be men. We need you. You are part of the solution. Show up as the godly men you're supposed to be. So masculinity is not toxic. Fallen nature is toxic. Mm-hmm. And have men committed, done wrong? Absolutely. But why have they done wrong? Because masculinity and being a man is toxic? No, because fallen nature is toxic. And because men have forgotten who they truly are as sons of God and how they've been empowered to be solutions in the earth. And the other thing that I've noticed is one of the ways you can tell the enemy is at work is he suckers us into repeating the same mistake in a different direction and calling it progress. And that's what I was noticing with this anti-man movement, even to the point of where some campuses, uh, universities uh, in America were wanting to outlaw words with the, you know, the, the word man yeah. and male from being used. On, I mean, it was getting ridiculous, but that's the enemy. He always overplays his hand. Have men right. marginalized? and dismissed and devalued women in the past. Some men have, and that needs to stop because women are amazing and they're half of God's solution. But the solution to women being marginalized, dismissed, and, 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 and diminished is not to marginalize, dismiss, and diminish men. That's Satan. That's repeating the same mistake in a different direction and calling it progress. The solution is to remind men who they truly are. So one of the things we do with men on the front lines is we never shout back at the voices shouting about the evils of men because that just is more shouting. That's more negativity. God's about light that disperses darkness. He didn't say to the darkness, let there be more darkness. He said, let there be light. So if we notice the darkness of Satan attacking something in culture or devaluing something in culture, the answer isn't to shout back. The answer is to speak to that aspect of culture, that aspect of God's creation, and remind them who they truly are. That's what we do with men on the front lines. We do these events where we remind men who they truly are. And when that happens, we see men transform. We see marriages transform. We've seen businesses transform. We're now even seeing cities transform. And some of our men on the front lines, guys, are running for public office because they realize, I have everything I need in God to be the solution. And one of those things, you and I talked about this before we went live, one of the core values of men on the front lines, and we are so committed to this, is championing and cheering on women. Because this is not an either-or message. When God made us in his image, male and female, he made us. And now is the time for men to arise. And one of the things we need to arise as as heroes is championing and cheering on the anointed women in our lives because we need them too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, what you were talking about with um, going all the way back to the, the laughter inserted in the commercials and the sitcoms, I can remember being yeah. in college and we actually, we actually did a study and that, I mean, that's been years ago. We did studies about, I mean, that, that is factual that they do insert to make the, the head of the home look less than and, and comical and, uh, buffoons, as you said, and so that that's a real device of the enemy to try to take the, the power away from the head of the home. And, you know, God has orchestrated the way this family unit is to be intact. Yes. But isn't it true, Robert? Here's the thing: it's like you know, it's almost like we've gone so far the other way. You think, how can we ever come back? And I I was working with, I counsel with a lot of young married couples, and one of the things that I've heard recently was. Um, Oh, well, yes. You know, my husband, he wants to be the spiritual head, and he thinks that he's supposed to tell me what to do and how to do it. And 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 he's saying to us, no, I'm not. I'm trying to lead us down a spiritual path. Mm-hmm. I want to be the spiritual head. And I was talking to her about how she has to go back and revisit her role as a woman. And, and, and we're helpmates, right? But for mm-hmm. a spiritual man to be able to lead, like you said, enter a woman who is willing to see 
the the household and how it should run. And that doesn't to mean to demean anyone. We are equal in God's eyes, but there is a there is a process there of how we must allow each other, man, allow the woman, woman allow the man to fulfill that role that God has put into our lives. And that takes a deep understanding of the word and how God has outlined things, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things God did for me when he asked me to start this, this, menace, this ministry, Men on the Front Lines, was he took me into scripture and he showed me a pattern of how men and women work together. And there are seasons and times and they're overlapping. But one of the reasons that I do believe this is the hour for men to arise is because so many of our anointed sisters have done such a wonderful job in the body of Christ of carrying the torch for many years. Now there's great men out there too, but one of the things he showed me is this pattern, like with God will often start something with women among the women, because women are quite literally birthers. So we even see with Mary where when God is going to birth the greatest move, of the kingdom invading the earth in the history of creation, and he's bringing forth his son, Jesus Emmanuel, he starts with a woman. He goes to Mary. We all know the story in Luke. Then there comes a moment when the men need to get involved. And this is actually a a moment when the man who's going to be involved in this is thinking about checking out. And Joseph is thinking, I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is scandalous. I know she's a good woman, so I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but I'm going to set her aside. I'm going to leave. God speaks to Joseph through an angel in a dream and says, no, you are absolutely a part of this. Don't go anywhere. This is me. I get that you're confused, but you have a role to play in this. And now Joseph commits to this. And now he's helping Mary steward and nurture this coming move of God and raise the move of God that is Messiah. Very similar when the victorious risen Lord is going to launch the first century church. The first person to get the full revelation of the risen Lord as Lord is Mary in the tomb. And then what what does the risen Lord say to Mary? He says, now go and tell the brothers. There's two points I want to make from that that are critical. One Jesus is saying, you're going to launch this for me, but there is a moment when the men need to get involved, go and tell them. The other thing I'd like to point out is can we please put to rest that God absolutely and certainly anoints and appoints women for public ministry beyond Sunday school teachers. Jesus launched her out in a ministry of prophetic declaration and teaching. He said, go and tell the brothers So God absolutely used women and absolutely uses men. It's just like in Matthew 4. When God, when Jesus is now in his ministry, who does he go to? He goes to James, John, Andrew, um, uh, uh, Simon, and says, now come and follow me. He invites them to be discipled. But again, this, this move was birthed by Mary. Then Joseph comes alongside of it. When it's coming into full maturity in the earth to move, he calls men to walk with him, but he also calls women. So it's never either or with God, but there are God-appointed moments when all of a sudden he reaches out to a woman to birth something, or he calls to men and says, now it's your moment to come alongside When I started Men on the Front Lines, I had a lot of people come up to me at our meetings and say, it's about time. Where have the men been? And I took that to God, and the Lord showed me, I want you to change that language. Help people understand that even the way they're saying, it's about time for men, there's guilt, shame, and condemnation and judgment attached to that. Don't say it's about time. Say it's the time. This is the time for men to arise. And that's really our whole approach to everything with men on the front lines. We don't ever tell people what they're doing wrong. We address the issues by reminding them who they really are. And that brings transformation. It brought transformation in my life. And um, that's what we're doing is we're bringing kingdom transformation to the lives of men. Oh, Robert, I'm so in agreement with that. And, And what we do in this ministry you know, we never speak to – we all know what we've done wrong. We all are, yep. are trying to hide the shame, guilt, and regret. We need a refreshing message from God, just like you – just like he gave to you. I refuse not to love you. That's, that's right. the message. That's what we – and that's what this ministry does. That's where transformation happens. When we get to our worst self and see that Jesus is standing there in the middle of that mess, he says, while you were yet 
sinners I died for you. You know, we yes. don't need we don't need the the finger pointing at us. We need the finger pointing toward the cross and how to get oh, there. Yeah. And not only not only say, you know, that's the way, but here let me take your hand and walk you to that cross. And so I am so with you on that. Um, One thing that you said there, uh, many things, but one thing I want to encourage the women who are listening today, I believe a lot of women who are listening, if you listen to what Robert just said, there's a deep, deep secret message in here. I believe women, many of you are sitting at home thinking, when my husband's ready to go to church, I'll go. When my husband's ready to to start serving Mm -hmm. the Lord, then I'm going to do it. I think that what Robert has shown us that bears out through scripture is go first. Maybe God has called you first. You go to that church, as embarrassing as it might be, or you might feel like it might be to walk in that church alone. You're going to blend right in. You're going to make a friend. People are going to come around you. You be the first one to step out. You be the Mary. You be the Samaritan woman. Who knows, but that by you doing that, right, Robert, then that husband will follow suit. Yeah, absolutely. And the other key that I'll give to men or women that are wrestling with any of that, but specifically since we're championing the women in this, one of the things I helped some um, um, women with over the years that were in a situation like that is I had one lady come up to me uh, once and say, hey, I really appreciate your teaching. I wish my husband was more on fire for God. You know, he doesn't come to these things. And she went on and on and on. And I I listened with compassion, and I said to her, hey, you know what, though? I want to take a moment to honor your husband. She said, really? Why? I said, well, isn't it amazing that he supports you in coming here, that he's okay with you coming? He may not be there yet, but I found that if we champion the good and focus on the good, we don't ignore the bad. But but can I make a suggestion to you? Consider going home and – as opposed to like making your feel husband your, your husband feel bad that he didn't come, just simply tell your husband, honey, it really means a lot to me that you supported me going to that event. And I said he may not even respond well. He might be like, well, I knew if you didn't, da da da. He might be a jerk about it. But focus on the positive. And again, this yeah. is uh, Kim, this is what God does with me. I am a well-disciplined son. I don't want anybody out there hearing me saying things like we focus on the positive or remind them who they really are. That doesn't mean we ignore the wrong things. God never yeah. ignores the wrong things with me. I have been taken to the woodshed by God a few times in my 18 <laughs> years of walking with him. But you know, nine times out of 10, how the Lord disciplines me, Kim, he lovingly speaks to my heart and says, son, we both know that's not what you're really like. And then I take a moment and go, oh, my goodness, Lord, you're right. That was totally a flesh moment. That, was, that is not who I am. God, why did I respond that way? What was I afraid of? Why did I, why did I respond out of fear or anger or frustration? And then he'll show me, and he'll bring healing to those areas. But it, it's not I'm mad at you for what you did. You're bad. It was, son, we both know who you really are and what you're really like. Now, that wasn't like that, was that? It's a totally different approach to discipline, and I've found for me that's what brings true transformation because it never lets me off the hook for wrong behavior, but it never makes me feel guilty and ashamed. It reminds me, son, we know who you really are, and he's telling me because he knows my greatest joy is walking in who I truly am. He's not giving me a yardstick of performance pressure to measure up to, He's giving me an invitation to walk in the fullness of who I truly am because that's where my joy is. And that's what we do for men, and that's what God does for every single one of us. Absolutely. And I, I love, love, love that And because we hear this, these voices of condemnation and we think it's God. But the Bible very clearly tells us in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation. God doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to comfort us and to bring us into the knowledge of his, of his love and the purpose that he's left us on this earth to complete. Robert, one of the things you said there that I would like for our, our incredible listeners to hear is that when you uh, created this ministry that you have for men, you said that um, God invited you to focus on a, a different way, that God wants it to be from uh, the a servanthood of a certainty of sonship with no performance pressure, condemnation, or burden attached to it. 
you know, in our society, like you have, have alluded to many times, you know, it is performance-based. Well, you yes. know, if I, if, I, if I don't take a drink of alcohol for, for two weeks because I'm battling alcoholism, but what if I fall off the wagon? Well, then, then no, no one loves me. No one accepts me. Well, what if I lose my temper? What if I do this? And then this condemnation is so heaped upon us. You know, for people to understand that is not God, that is our enemy. But would you talk about that? Because I just love the fresh approach that you have for ministry because I, this is what I hope to do with everything that, that we are doing here. So what about that? No performance pressure, condemnation, or burden attached to it. Yeah, I mean, that's the very core of Christianity is no performance pressure. And, I, I, and, yeah. and because um, performance pressure is religion. Literally, yeah. if you do yeah. these things, then God will give you these things. That's the definition of religion. And the entire yeah. Old Testament is this beautiful love letter from God to us about, hey, look, I'm trying to open your eyes to the fact that you can't do these things. And the New Testament is a love letter from God saying, now I want to open your eyes that you don't have to because I'll do them for you. I love you so much. So, I mean, religion says you have to do these things to get these things, to have worth, to have value, to get blessing. And God showed me that one of the reasons men weren't showing up is in church and in everything we're talking about in their kingdom roles is because they were trying so hard to be good husbands, good providers, good fathers, good uh, measures of, of what society told them they needed to be, or they were so burnt out from all that, they were giving up and checking out. And the Lord made it clear to me that the solution is not giving them another yardstick of performance pressure. You need to pray this much. You need to tithe this much. You need to, you know, um, worship this much. You need to read your Bible this much. You need to go to church this much. Now, every single thing I just named, worship, tithing, praying, reading your Bible, going to church, are wonderful things that will empower you. But if we make them performance pressure yardsticks, most men's experience with that is, look, bro, I'm doing the best that I can with everything going on right now. I don't need more pressure in my life. So the Lord showed me that the enemy's plan or uh, tactic is almost always performance pressure. If you are a son, do this. If you are a son, the father should have done this for you. If you are a son, you need to do this to prove it and know it. Jesus' response to the if you are a son um, uh, temptation to perform for the proof of sonship was man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the father's mouth. We all know that, but what we sometimes don't understand, the profundity of that statement is what were the last words that it proceeded from the father's mouth before Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit to win that battle in the desert for us? The last words to proceed from the father's mouth to his son were, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he declares mm-hmm. that over Jesus before he's done anything. He hasn't saved anybody. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't multiplied anything, delivered anyone. He has not gone to the cross yet. He has not fulfilled his purpose in the earth yet. And so the Lord is saying to him, I am sending you out with a revelation of the certainty of sonship, love, and acceptance. So you never have to do anything for relationship. You get to do everything from relationship. That's the exact Mm. opposite of a yardstick of performance pressure. So now we're operating from a full account of love and worth and value and acceptance and empowerment. So if we do make a mistake, we're more than willing to admit it and learn from it and grow from it because it doesn't disqualify us because our performance never qualified us in the first place. So now Mm. we're empowered to learn and grow. And this is what we're invited to. When Jesus said to Simon, Andrew, James, and John, come follow me, please note he did not say, come believe in me. He saw that they recognized he was the Messiah. We see it. They're good Jewish boys and good Jewish family businesses. You don't just lay everything down for nothing. They knew he was the Messiah, so he said, come follow me. Come be discipled by me. Come walk with me. Come let me take you back to the garden where you get to walk and talk with God every single day to learn how to operate in his dominion authority as his solution and difference makers in the earth. 
That's what discipline is. That's what discipling is. And when there's no yardstick of performance pressure, we are free to grow and to learn and to increase and to improve, not to learn, earn more of what we don't have, but to learn more how to operate in the fullness we've been given in Christ. Absolutely. And it gives us um, the, the uh, it gives, it empowers us to know that if we fall down, if we mess up, that it's okay. It's part of the learning process. It's like when a child learns to walk and he takes a few steps and he stumbles and he's awkward and he falls down. You know, I, I use that so much with women. What, what do mm. parents do? They get, get down there with them. And they're going, that was great. You did such a great job. Now let's try again. And I just believe that is such a beautiful picture of how God uh, calls us forward and all that he has for us. And he has a lot for us. Robert, I feel like that your message uh, is just being eaten up by, by women. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, taste and see that I'm good. I believe that the feeding of such truth is amazing this morning. But I want to, because our time is so limited, I want to make sure that people know that they can move forward with what you have to say, and that would be by some of your books. And let's just talk about, a, you, you've written several. Um, I would like for you to share a couple that you would would recommend. Well, I'm sure you'd recommend all of them, but some that you would uh, explain to the to our listeners. But then I want to end on your newest one, The 31 Decrees of Blessing. You know, my first book was called Burdens to Blessings. So I love mm-hmm. it, 31 Decrees of Blessings. But would you just share with some people some of the information that they could get from, from your talk and your heart so that they can move forward with, with what you're saying to them today? Well, sure. Uh, you know, different books will help them in different ways. But one thing I want to make sure they know about is they can go to roberthodgkin.com. That's sort of the hub for everything I make available to people. And there's lots of free stuff. Like right on roberthodgkin.com, you can get a free download of one of my teachings. There are links to our podcast, our, my YouTube channel that has hundreds and at this point maybe even well over a thousand videos and shows of free teachings and free discipling. So um, any of the books, uh, my core discipling book is Winning the Battle for Your Mind, Will, and Emotions. And it's all about how to live in the more of God that we already have. And I go into a lot of detail in that book to unlock the supernatural power of our mind, our will, and emotions so that we can actually see what we talked about, what we have been given by God. It's it's actually a theologically inaccurate prayer the Lord showed, shared with me once when I cried out, Lord, I have, must have more of you. And he told me that's impossible. He's already given me everything in Christ. But he said, I love mm-hmm. that cry because what you're really crying out for is greater manifestations of what you already know is yours, which is why you're so passionate about it. And so he started mm-hmm. to teach me over the course of almost 12 years. He started to mentor me in how to live and how to see made manifest the more of God that we already have. And that's what that book's about for people who are married. God blessed me with a wonderful wife. And a, a part of the reason my wife is so wonderful and my marriage is so wonderful is because it's not perfect and it's filled with lots of opportunities to learn and to grow. And I'm so grateful for those. And we have a book, um, Divine Union, um, uh, Scriptural mm-hmm. Decrees for a Heavenly Marriage. I'm a huge, huge believer in the power of decreeing the word of God. And that is a book that we've seen transform marriages and including continuing to strengthen and transform our marriage. Um, And then uh, Everlasting Love is uh, a daily devotional about connecting with God's love that I wrote with my dear friend, spiritual mother and mentor, Patricia King. Um, And my gosh, I I think there's some other stuff that's always coming to mind right now. Yeah, well, there, there's there's lots, and that's what I wanted our listeners to hear. And but let me just ask you this: we're, we're down to about five minutes. But when you, okay. I want our listeners that when you say decreeing the power of God, and you, your newest book, and I just love it. I'm holding it in my hand, and, and listeners, this would be any of these books would be such a great Christmas gift. But this one would take your men. It's so, it's packed with so much. But it's called 31 Decrees of Blessings for Men. And tell me, what, is it, what, what do you mean when you say you believe in decreeing the power of God? The, the, decreeing the power of God's word. Isaiah 55:11 says the word of God never returns void. It accomplishes all that it is sent to do. Job 22:28 tells us that we can decree a thing and it will be established. Now, what that means is we can decree the eternal truth of God in faith. And like mm-hmm. we talked about early on, 
in this uh, wonderful conversation. You're so good at this. You're so good at leading through conversation. Um, oh, thank you. That we can decree the word of God, and it's going to be established because when we do it in faith, the substance of our faith is actually working to manifest inside of our lives, our families, our nations, what is already ours in the eternal realm. So one of the reasons I wrote 31 Decrees of Blessings for Men the way I did is it's a daily devotional. And every single day, there's a scripture-based devotion that reminds men as sons of God, not only who they are, but what they've been blessed with and empowered with by God to be difference makers and solution bringers. So there's a scripture, then there's a short devotion on that scripture that will build your faith, the substance of your faith. Then there's 10 scripture-based decrees so now that your faith has been built by the truth of God's word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and your faith is stirred and increased, now there's the substance of your faith to work with. So you make 10 scriptural-based decrees, and you're actually framing in the spirit so you can step into it in the natural. And then we have a really uh, short, quick activation at the end of every daily devotional. So then you can activate in the natural what your the substance of your faith has framed in the spirit through your decrees. I said that really fast. I hope it made sense. But it's a very it's a very easy to use book of daily devotionals to not only open your eyes to who you are and what you have as a son of God to make differences in your life and in the world, but then they're the tools of the decrees and the activation to actually step into it. And that's that's the power of the decree when it's made from faith in God's word. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert, what is that scripture? Uh, I can't. I'm trying to look it up, but it says, uh, "Oh, uh, maybe it's maybe it's in Romans. Maybe it's Romans four seventeen. Call those things that are not as though they already are." Yeah, exactly right. Romans four seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're, that's exactly what it is. The power of of this word and the way. And listeners, I'll tell you, it it, it is rich, blessed with courage. You have so many personal stories in here, too. Blessed to be a father, blessed by victory, all these decrees, uh, even rest, you know, blessed with favor, mm-hmm. all these. And I, it's, it's powerful. It's rich. And I believe what you had to say at the beginning, this is the hour for us to rise yes. up. This is an hour. And I love the fact that that God is always present. I am is always present. And what that means to me, Robert, is that, I don't have to look back. I don't have to look back with regret or shame or guilt or regret. I can decide today. Today is a new day. I can start today, can't I, Robert? That's right. All of my listeners That's can right. start today. The hope. That's right. We can start today. And then a, a very quick Romans 417 testimony for you. My wife came home one day and told me that um, she has a friend that had come into her clinic and was sharing some things about her brother. Um, and she was sort of murmuring and complaining about her brother and his brother's lack of walk in faith. And she said, hey, my husband's written this new book. Let me give you a copy. The next time my wife saw her friend Carolyn, she shared the testimony that she made these 31 decrees over her brother every day for one month. And that her brother had been completely transformed. She was blown away. She's like, oh, my gosh, my brother's a new man. He's, he's on fire for God. So just what you said about Romans 4.17, we can, we can decree something that is not what God has planned it to be, and we decree his word in faith, and we can see that thing, that person, that situation transformed into exactly what God intended it to be. And that's the power that Christ has put inside us as his believers and to activate that power and to live that power. Robert, we have just a couple minutes. I would like for you to speak directly to anyone today that is really struggling. Would you just speak a moment of just hope right into their heart today during this busy, crazy season? Yeah, absolutely. I want you to know that you matter. You are important, and you have a key role to play for the kingdom and the earth. God doesn't make mistakes. That's something we, we, we say somewhat blithely, but it's true. You're here for a reason, and you're here for a purpose. And I, I, I have compassion for what you've been through, but I know that the power of God can lift you up out of that so that you can walk not only transformed, but a transformer. So right now, I release the love of God into your heart to heal every wound and the power Mm. of God to bring transformation, revival, and reformation so you can go forth from this moment 
with every hurt, every lie, every trap of the enemy completely broken off of you, off your body, off your soul. And I decree and declare over you that you will go forth this day knowing you are part of God's solution, knowing you've been deputized in his authority, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been transformed, and you will, be trans- you will bring transfor- transformation to everyone everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And I pray every man and woman that hears that receives that. Robert, one more time, how can they reach you? Easiest way is roberthodgkin.com. That'll be the hub to everything that I have to empower and encourage them. Uh, Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T, Hodgkin, H-O-T-C-H-K-I-N.com. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you so much for this hour. I would love to invite you to come to Baltimore. Let's do a men's. You know, one of the things I'm invited to a lot of men's events to, to step in and share I speak on behalf of the wife, the daughter, the mom of, of, of men into men's lives. I, I represent the, the female part of the people in many men's events. I would love for you to come to Baltimore. Let's do an event for men uh, together, and then uh, you can take the men. I'll take the women, and let's, let's see some uh, restorative rejuvenation work done in God's people. Let's do that in 2021. I love it. Let's make a plan. That sounds like kingdom to me. Great idea. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for sharing your wonderful audience with me. It was such a joy. They're great. They are great. And thank you. We'll be in touch. And audience, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you for the follow-up of what you're going to do. And remember, today, today is your day. You can begin to do what Robert has said, how he shared throughout this whole hour. You can begin to call those things that may be as though they are right now by decreeing God's word. I'll see you next week, friends, right here on Coffee. Goodbye, everybody. To learn more about Kim's books, teaching materials, or to invite Kim to speak at your event, please visit KimCrable.com. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, to learn more, please visit KimCrable.com.